Welcome to another episode of the Today Dreamer podcast, where we explore through conversational space ways in which to develop our practice of presence, integrating dreaming and doing into being in service of a blossoming of the emergent world story. This is why the show is alive and it's here for you. This conversation is also here for you. A little while ago, I met up, actually quite a while ago, I met up with a Buddhist monk to talk about life. Yeah, people have just, from all over the world, really engaged with that conversation and found a lot of value from it. So I decided to meet up again with the same Buddhist monk, uh, Gen Ying from the Kadampa Meditation Center in Monbolk, Victoria, Australia. And we had a conversation about the true path to happiness. And this is that conversation. Before we do get into things, I'd like to just share for everyone out there that is finding some value from these conversations and feels like they are ready to deepen their connection with the show and take things to the next level. The number one way you can support the show and the number one way you can support the mindful media vibes that are radiating out from this space into the sphere is by heading to patreon.com forward slash today dreamer and yeah, becoming a tribe member by pledging a small amount every month. In exchange, there are certain perks available depending on the pledge level from exclusive podcast episodes and uh, videos and guided meditations as well as uh, monthly meetup groups and hangouts online. And there will soon be some merch as well available. So yeah, head over there, patreon.com forward slash today dreamer and check it out if you're enjoying the show. And I'm also going to leave plenty of links for the Kadampa Meditation Center um, so you can check out more of their stuff, more of their videos, more of their work in the show notes section of this episode. What else is there to say? Well, I don't think there is too much else before getting into things, but I would like to share that there will be a special guided meditation so please uh, stay through to the end of this episode and if you haven't already click the subscribe button hit the little notification bell if you're watching on youtube let's um let's take a breath together before moving into the conversational space so i'd like to invite you now wherever you are amongst whatever's been going on in your day to just pause if it feels right, gently close your eyes now so we can do that together. Just begin by slowly yet naturally taking a deep breath in through the nose and into the depths of your belly. Go as slow as naturally possible and enjoy the feeling and the subtleties of the breath. Take your time with it. Whenever you reach the peak, just pause for a moment anything that's happened to just float away, calming the mind and easing any tension. When you feel called to do so, gracefully exhale on the way out, further releasing any tension from the body and mind. So take your time with this part. 
when you get to the bottom of the exhale, you can pause for a moment there as well. ready, allow your eyes to gently open. Let's get into this conversation with Gen Donyu. So from just from what you were saying, I guess most people, they're journeying through life trying to fulfill their own wishes. That's, that's a default position for most people. So when Buddha talked, he said all living beings have one principal aspiration which is to make themselves happy not just the happiness of um, enjoyment but but deep and lasting eternal uh, happiness without any suffering ever and that's a principal aspiration of each and every living being now um, we all set out in life to tr fulfill that wish to fulfill the wish I want to I want true and deep and everlasting pure happiness but the very nature of that wish is self-focused I want to be happy but Buddha also taught that focusing on oneself is the greatest obstacle to being to fulfilling a wish to be truly happy and so at some point and you mentioned earlier the inflection point at some point in our spiritual and emotional development maybe with the help of meeting a, a spiritual guide or a spiritual teacher, at some point we realize that to fulfill that wish for ourselves to be happy, we have to abandon the wish for ourselves to be happy and instead wish for others to be happy. And so we start to, the, the journey, if you like, from one point of view, is this journey from a self-focused place to an other-focused place. And as I was saying earlier, the, perhaps the analogy that you, that you could use to describe that is if you were trying to start a fire with two sticks, I've never been able to do this, but apparently this is possible, that you, you rub two sticks together, and <laughs> I was never really a Boy Scout, but you rub the two sticks together and eventually you'll make a fire. But what do you do with the sticks? The sticks are they're thrown into the fire. In a similar way, when we begin to understand that true and lasting happiness is found in our love of others. The self-focused motivation that, that, if you like, took us to that realization is consumed by that love. So we no longer have any self-concern. Um, we, ha we only have other concern. And it's only then that we will realize what happiness is. Until then, we will always be deceived by a notion of happiness that is, as we talked about last time, as a notion of happiness that may arguably be actually just suffering, disguised as happiness. And, and, and how is that? Well, this notion, of, this notion of happiness that is suffering, disguised as happiness, is the reduction of a previous problem. So, for example, if I'm lonely and I develop attachment to having a relationship, then it will, the, the relationship will look like happiness. But it's not. It's a reduction of my previous problem of loneliness. Many people get into a relationship thinking it will fulfill their wishes to be happy. And they think, oh my gosh, I wish I was alone. Or I wish my partner would take up a hobby. I wish they'd go out. Because that's not the... Uh, happiness is a feeling. A, a, a peaceful feeling. A feeling that arises from a peaceful mind. And ultimately, focusing on ourselves will always make us feel unpeaceful and focusing on others, because it opens the mind, will always give us peace. You could divide meditation into two. Contemplation, otherwise known as analytical meditation. And then the second type is placement meditation, which is a single-pointedness of mind. In the Buddhist tradition, we say that both have to be disciplined. You, it, we won't reach our spiritual destination by just closing our eyes and allowing the mind to wander, even though 
even though we may be wandering around very meaningful topics about the nature of reality and the purpose of life and uh, how to fulfill our deepest wishes, the, the meditative journey of contemplation and meditation still has to be very disciplined. And so one must have an idea of the objective. And then the analytical meditation or the contemplation becomes a purposeful internal investigation which is always taking us towards our objective. So for example, in this discussion so far, we're talking about the idea that if I love others, I will fulfill my wishes to be happy. So then we have to then take that a bit deeper by understanding, well, okay, at the moment, there's a lot of emphasis on the thought, I want to be happy, self-focused mind. And so, what is that mind? And why does it need to be abandoned? And what is its nature? And what are the faults of the mind? And so on. So then you might sit in contemplation, considering, well, for as long as I want myself to be happy, I will start placing value on the things around me that appear to give me pleasant feelings or appear to make me happy. I will lower the value of things that appear indifferent to me. And I may even start to reject the things that look like they might interfere with my happiness or cause me a problem. And this is many, so you, we would contemplate this in meditation. I'm, for as long as I'm focusing on, my, focusing on myself, I'm going to want to draw towards me certain things. I'm going to have a cold indifference towards many things. And I'm going to want to push away other things. And it's not a far, it's not a stretch of the imagination to then think, well, if I, if I develop these thoughts, I will naturally begin to crave certain things. I will naturally begin to develop anger or hatred towards other things. And the result of this is that my mind is going to start doing this. Because it'll be like life on the ocean waves. I'm going to start bobbing about on uncontrolled emotional feelings that are being determined by the way I'm projecting my reality through craving and hatred mm. and so on. Mm. Many people think that the world around them uh, exists inherently. You know, I see a nice thing, I feel good. But what's happening is because of the self-focused mind, our, our pleasant feelings with respect to something make it look good rather than it being inherently good. That's why some people fall in love with certain people who others detest it's not the reality is not it's not entirely objective it's subjective so if we were meditating on this we'd think deeper deeply and we think well um what, what's the real worst excesses of a self-focused mind and then we start realizing um things like addiction you know things like selfish behavior arguments and disharmony in the world and then we can look at the global effect of everybody's selfishness and we can see what, what happens in the world and we start thinking this is poison we get deeper 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 this is a poisonous mind um, then you might argue in your own contemplation you might object well i want self-confidence self-esteem and so i need to focus on myself i need to focus on my good qualities but then we can say, well, it's not out of self-confidence or self-esteem that we get driven to the depths of alcoholism or we, we give up our responsibilities or we, we cause pain to someone because we've developed anger. None of this leads to self-confidence or self-esteem. And then we can then much more naturally reach a conclusion, I'm going to love others. Because we've analysed very deeply what it is we're trying to abandon and why we're trying to attain what we want to attain. And if we do that in a very strict way, following these, this controlled, is that the right word? Yeah, controlled contemplation, purposeful investigation in our own mind, we will then reach a single-pointedness, almost a sense of liberation, our love for others. I'm now free from selfish concern, and it feels good. And then we can use our imagination if we then imagine our 
mind space to be filled of all living beings. And we transform our whole heart into the wish, may they all be happy. And personally, I like to then imagine that my wish has some power and that in my imagination, I see them begin to smile. And that feeds back into the meditation because it, makes, it gives my meditation more confidence. And then as we meditate on this, we can call it wishing love, mm. wishing love, our mind becomes single-pointed. And then we get into the idea of what mindfulness is. Once the mind is single-pointed, in this case on love, the ability to hold that without any wondering now, the contemplation's finished. So no more wondering, no more um, considering other things. We now need to hold the experience of love, moment to moment to moment to moment. And that holding is, is done by what we call in Buddhism mindfulness. Now, mindfulness is a really popular word. Everybody's talking about mindfulness. It's like the poster word for perhaps a multi-billion dollar spiritual movement. But nobody really knows what it is. Like if we were to, if someone's practicing mindfulness and we say to, say to them, um, okay, well give me an explanation of what mindfulness is. People have many ideas. Some people say, oh, it's just watching your thoughts or being aware of your feelings or maybe letting your mind go blank. But mindfulness is a, is a, a term to describe a part of the mind, which we call mental factor or mental function. It's the part of the mind that functions to remember or to hold. So if you're somebody who, who constantly loses their keys or leaves things in the pocket of an aeroplane, you know, if we're a, a person who forgets things, then, then we, we are someone whose mindfulness is not very strong. Someone who has a good, sharp memory, they have good mindfulness. Mindfulness is like a muscle in the mind that can be trained like any muscle. You know, like if you go to the gym and you, you keep lifting weights, you will strengthen your muscles. So by training in single-pointedness, our mindfulness is becoming stronger. So, so mindfulness is not a practice as such. Mindfulness is just the part of the mind that has the ability to hold single-pointedly and to remember. So if in this case we're meditating on this love, nice feeling, warm, warm heart arises, feeling of being close to all living beings, um, whole, our whole mind is pervaded by the wish, may they be happy, and then that whole experience is being held single-pointedly moment to moment to moment to moment. For one of them, a less, for one of a more Buddhist expression, it's like killing two birds with one stone. Of course, we don't kill anything in Buddhism, but it, the, the ability to hold that feeling is not only improving our happiness, the happiness of love, but it's also strengthening our mindfulness so that we become sharper, clearer, more focused, more ability to remember, more ability to uh, make spiritual progress, the ability to control our emotions, overcoming emotional problems, all coming from a strong mind or coming from exercising mindfulness. So we can do this moment to moment to moment, holding in meditation this feeling of love. Now, please jump in at any point if I'm talking too much, Michael. But we, we meditate like this, and then we go through a, a complete internal transformation of the person we are, because our ability to hold that experience is changing who we are. Because we begin as a person who's focused on themselves, but through this, this holding, uh, these experiences in meditation, very disciplined, very controlled, very structured, uh, what, is, what comes out the other end of the meditation is a brand new person. Because what is a person? Just a label. Hmm. Like the thought, I, so the thought, um, the thought me is the label given to the collection of my body, which is a machine, and my mind. Should my mind be pervaded by love, then the thought I is an I who is happy. 
an I that cherishes others. We wake up in the mornings, I am happy, because that I is a label given principally to a mind that's pervaded by good feelings coming from love. And that's only the beginning, really, because eventually there's, there's limitless possibility as to who we can become, mm -hmm. which is ultimately Buddhahood, complete, full enlightenment. Yeah, the potentiality is quite interesting in itself, but mm. I'm drawn to the, I guess, the significance of the initial ambition, this yes. idea of... Um, Being motivated by selfishness. Some, some clarity and some contemplation on what the ambition is. And it, there almost seems to be a sense of, um, you know, see this time and time again with this idea of a feeling. And, and you know, that word's also quite loaded, but feeling um, a sense of love and then within your practice and then taking that feeling and holding it um, and maybe applying it in different ways with like um, as a mental exercise and then you know how does that fit into how does that within your practice fit into your life and like you mentioned they kind of feed into one another and there's this kind of spiraling process that goes on but I think the initial ambition and exploring that um, seems like a significant thing to do it seems like and, and then even like revisiting what our ambition is and, and checking in with that because that seems to develop and change I feel and maybe maybe not the exact ambition sometimes it would be but it's also uh, the words or the language we use to describe what that is when you say ambition mm. do, do you mean do you mean what is it we want from life or what is it where we're going or what do we wish for or what when or why do we become a spiritual person or why do we enter the spiritual path or I think all of that and 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 yeah like what is the motivation behind what we're doing yeah um what's the you know what are we doing here and and <laughs> and, and why are we doing any of this um that's I, a big question yeah 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean just to just the motivation of of most people, and I guess I'm generalizing, but there are there are many altruistic people in this world who are striving to find a way of bringing great benefit to others and to this world. Um, but at risk of generalizing, m most people's ambition is just, I want to be happy, I think. I, I want to be happy. And it's it is depending on what appears in one's life and what various conditions arise, it is finally that ambition, which is arguably selfish, you know, I just want to be happy. But it is that motivation that finally will lead people to realize, to the, to the realization, if I'm going to be able to do this, then I need to completely change. Mm -hmm. um, I need to completely change in a very profound way. As part of your question, I mean, it's the why are we here thing, and, and it's, it is related to a huge question. Why are we here? What is the meaning of life? Now, if, if, in terms of the meaning of life, if our principal aspiration is everlasting happiness, and we find, or our subsequent wishes are in line with that principal aspiration, then since our main wish in our life is to be happy and we find a life that fulfills that wish, then arguably, and we can go, we'll go deeper into this in, this in a moment, but on a, just on a surface level, if my wish is to find everlasting happiness and I find the means to fulfill that wish, then I found the meaning of my life. But we have to understand what is lasting happiness and we need to probably go a bit deeper on that. Because I once gave the, said this in a teaching and later somebody who attended the teaching began to feel that surfing was a virtue. Because for him, surfing, in his mind, was the source of everlasting happiness. Mm. 
So in his mind, he said, I found the meaning of life because I go surfing. But if surfing was really a true source of, the ha of happiness, then the more you surf, the happier you'd become. But in reality, after about four hours, your body will start to tell you that's enough. Maybe six hours, maybe eight hours, maybe ten. Eventually it's going to start to hurt. Moreover, if, if surfing was where happiness came from, what would you do if you lost the ability to, you became sick and you lost the ability to surf, or you became too old? You would be crushed. You'd, you'd, if you felt that was a true source of happiness, you'd, you'd spiral into depression. Therefore, that's an incorrect statement. So then we could say, okay, well, yeah, you'd expect me to say, because I'm a Buddhist monk, inner peace is a true source of happiness, therefore meditation is a true source of happiness. You'd expect me to say that. But, if, if you um, knew, even in your efforts to find happiness, maybe you found some peace, but if you knew that at some point in the future, you still had the potential to suffer, and you knew that, even while you're enjoying your inner peace, so-called inner peace, and you knew that whether it's the suffering of aging, or this unknown sickness that you may develop, may develop a terminal cancer, terminal illness, or just a death process, even though you may be enjoying a peaceful mind, in a, at a very low level in your heart, we know as human beings that these things are coming. And so deep down, there will be a low-level anxiety that interferes with that peace. And therefore, we need an even greater, if we are to find the meaning of life, we need an even greater spiritual ambition to find permanent liberation. Now, what that is and how to do that is maybe a discussion we have have a bit later. But in terms of, so say you find that, say you actually develop such profound peace through realizing whatever, like last time we discussed the nature of self, say we discover such a profound peace that death will no longer cause us a problem. But you then realize in your heart, in the depths of your, your, your meditation, the people you love are still suffering or they're still going to suffer. Again, you can't say you found lasting happiness because it's very difficult to be able to say I'm truly happy in the knowledge that people you love still have the potential for suffering. And eventually, of course, if we get the first meditation right, that'll be everybody. So even, even the strength of mind that stops us fearing death is not enough. It's not real, everlasting, eternal happiness. Because otherwise it would be like being imprisoned It'd be like we were imprisoned with our mother. We found a way out, but we left our mother. You know, we would never be able to live with ourselves if we got out of this situation where we were imprisoned. Oh, I'm free, I found my liberation. You'd know in the back of your mind, you left your mum there. So in a similar way, if we are to find the highest levels of happiness, finally we need to dedicate our own being in this world to the liberation of everyone. It doesn't mean we necessarily achieve that in our life, although how wonderful if we do, we achieve a state of mind that can draw everybody to the same state, how wonderful. But if we are using that as our trajectory through life, I'm working for the benefit of each and every living being then I think you can find the true meaning of life and true happiness. And I think that's where it lies, in that hugely altruistic, deeply compassionate space. Mm. How do you do it? That's a big question, isn't it? How do you... <laughs> yeah. Thomas, it, it seems as though in some sense that it may be like an impossible task, but it doesn't mean that it shouldn't be strived for. Precisely. You know? Yeah. Um, it's an interesting thing. Because it's not about, 
it's not about your actions. It's about who you feel you are in terms of perfect mental stability and inner peace and emotional strength. It's, it's to know, well, I, ab I abide in this world for the sake of all beings. Mm. I mean, that's a tremendous source of self-confidence. Mm. Um, it's a self-confidence that comes from not having a self, you know, no ego. It's just, mm. I'm just striving to become a force of good. Of course, if you could misunderstand that, you could become hugely egotistical, couldn't it? I am a force for good in this world. It's a, it's a much, it's a selfless state whereby the mind has just become a servant. It's, it's much more lowest of all than highest of all. Seems like this. There's traps peppered within everywhere. Um, you know, it's a good expression. There are indeed traps peppered <laughs> within everywhere. Yeah. Um, so, I, what's coming to me at the moment is this idea of we've spoken a lot about happiness. The the words being used a lot of times, um, and suffering seems to be different types of suffering and different ways to navigate within suffering. And what's come clear to me what seems to be the case um, over the last year or so is this idea of uh, sinking into suffering to, to enable us to um, find compassion for others by recognizing the similarities and to overcome or kind of move into and through um, instead of away from and you know, distract ourselves. But it seems like a very difficult thing to do. It mm. seems like the most difficult thing to do and, and the thing that, you know, from a primal sense, we don't, we're kind of trying to stay away from or there's like this innate fear or this kind of uh, ten tension, you know, it's almost like going into our suffering or suffering more skillfully um, suffering skillfully it's a great it's a great term yeah it's a difficult thing yeah we could do a course how to suffer skillfully yeah <laughs> i don't know how popular it would be. yeah i don't think many people would take that one <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, again i think it's about it's about clarity and discipline you know to be able to determine exactly what is suffering to, to be able to really hone in on what is suffering because Think again, a lot of people feel that that suffering is the theater that sort of um, that the suffering is a response to. So it, it, when when Buddha taught, he said the very essence of any problem is pain, painful feeling in the mind, painful feeling, and that everything that we believe to be suffering is really just the circumstances that are triggering the painful feelings and so but as human beings we often say well my suffering is is the circumstances and so we devote a lot of time and energy to trying to navigate the circumstances but we never devote any time and energy to being able to control the feelings and so as a result we never free ourselves from suffering mm. we just find ourselves going from one so-called source of suffering to another mm. and that also in, in terms of, I think we're, what you were getting at was using our suffering to have compassion for others. It also becomes more difficult to do that because we haven't clarified what is suffering very clearly for ourselves. Um, just to take a, a light-hearted example, once I was teaching in, um, in New South Wales, in near Newcastle, Lake Macquarie, and I, that day I'd met a lady who was renovating her investment property. So she had a, she had a home and then she had this other property and uh, she couldn't decide what floor to put in the investment property and it caused her huge emotional distress to the point where she was um, in tears. Now that night when I was giving the talk, um, I used her as an example. And somebody heckled, like someone shouted out in the group and said, well, she deserves to suffer. So, suggesting that, you know, this is someone who's wealthy, 
got everything and she's become so miserable over a flaw, well, she deserves to suffer. And I thought it was very interesting because maybe for that person, changing a flaw is, makes no difference. It's, a, it's menial, it's, a, it's, it's stupid. But what you can't do is say that that woman's suffering was not real. Mm. That that person was really suffering. Just because the person in the crowd wouldn't have found those circumstances enough to trigger emotional pain, they cannot deny that this other person is in pain. And therefore that person couldn't have compassion for that lady because this person's not really understanding what is suffering. How do we get from that point of, okay, even if this person was to realize that, you know, this lady was suffering from her own delusions, how do we move past the realization to the felt experience and match things up so we can kind of sync up and feel into uh, the suffering of the other person, even though it's not ours, and even though we wouldn't suffer in the same circumstance because, you know, it's just flooring. <laughs> well, you know, um, we don't have to wait very long until we experience our own suffering. Mm. I mean, suffering does tend to befall us fairly effortlessly. I mean, ha happiness eludes us. Suffering comes without choice. So what we have to do is if we're going to learn this empathy, we have to start to, and this is where I think you were going with suffering skillfully, I think we have to start to use our own suffering more. For example, if something goes wrong in our life and we ourselves start to experience some emotional problem, the compassionate practitioner will use the suffering that we're experiencing as an example of the suffering of others. Like, for example, um, some pain comes up in our, some difficulty in our life and we experience it with some painful feeling. If we sit down, not, do not be afraid of the feeling, just allow the feeling to be in our mind, but then recognize that there are millions of people who have the same problem and the same pain, but probably a lot worse than we have. Now what happens, the mechanics of this process are that it's not that we suddenly become this altruistic, compassionate person and what a, what a great being I am because I'm now thinking of others. Mm -hmm. No, what's actually happening is that we're developing a, a certain perspective of our problem. It becomes reduced in the light of the fact that there are millions and millions of people who are drowning in the same problem, but a lot worse. Except we know what they're going through because we have it. So if we start to understand as, this, as, we, as the mind opens and as our perspective begins to change, that new perspective causes this pain to reduce just through perspective alone. Now as this develops, it can then become a wish. Or may actually, let me just think about this. May, may they be free, because they're millions and I'm one. And the, the, a few moments of bad feeling in the mind of one living being is not a catastrophe. In the light of the same emotional feelings in the minds of millions and millions of living beings. Suddenly we feel like a grain of sand on a beach. And everything reduces, the pain reduces, the self-focused mind reduces, the other focused mind opens up, the perspective changes, and this process alone starts to give rise to inner peace. Then the wish for them to be free, then feelings of compassion, then huge happiness coming as a result of this experience that we had. I've almost had the opposite experience happen where the pain goes up and yeah. the happiness goes down in a sense. I think this is common, this is common, but there is sometimes a huge mistake that we make where we mix compassion with rejection. So instead of completely opening our heart to the thought, 
this suffering is happening. May it cease. We subtly, and it's hard to recognize, but we subtly develop the thought, I don't want this to be happening, which is an aspect of anger because it's a rejection. And for as long as we have even just an aspect of anger, we will crush ourselves emotionally. I think that may have happened, but it felt more like an acceptance of the feeling. And it was like almost too intense to hold the pain and the suffering of others. But there must be a, there must be a contradiction between an acceptance and a feeling of, of it being too much. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. I mean, I once used to teach in Glebe in Sydney and there, and there was a lady that used to assist the class, used to help me. And the one day we were talking about compassion and she said, um, she said, uh, every month I do my compassionate thing. She said, I subscribe to the RSPCA magazine. She said, this is my, it's different to your situation because I can see that you're a deep thinker. And I think she was a little bit more on the surface. Anyway, she said, um, she said, this is my compassionate action. This is what I do each, each um, month. And she said, but I will never open the magazine. And I said, well, why would you not open it? We buy this magazine, why do you not open it? She said, because the suffering is too much for me. I don't want to see it. Of course, I wouldn't say this to her, but when I contemplated and reflected on that situation, I realized that that wasn't compassion. It was a rejection of the suffering and then a kind of, a kind of um, transaction to pay her own conscience off. So I don't want to see the suffering, but here's some money. You see, rather than I have to accept, there is an awful lot of suffering in this world. It is tremendous amount of suffering, but I need to know this because my ambition, as we talked about earlier, is to be a force for healing the world. So it almost becomes a motivation as well. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that kind of ties back in quite nicely. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's a very, it's a good question. It's a good point. Mm. Where next? <laughs> I think in the same. <laughs> All right then. Um, so the there is a meditation. There is a book actually, which a lot of these topics are, you can read about, which you can download for free. Mm. Um, it's called. How to Transform Your Life is the name of the book. And it's written by my teacher, my spiritual guide, yeah, Geshe Kelsen Gyatso. And it, but it's available for everybody for free. And there's a website called howtotyl.com. And all these things we've discussed, you can read in the book and how to meditate on them. But in there is a really simple, really beautiful meditation about where he explains that all of our daily problems and all of our unhappiness, lack of happiness, and the greatest obstacle to our happiness arises from wishing ourselves to be happy all the time. And he said, if we practice stopping this wish, so it's a practice, the practice of stopping the wish for myself to be happy all the time, and instead wish for others to be happy all the time, we will have no experience of suffering or problems. And he says, at all. It's a big call. Yeah. No experience of suffering or problems at all. And he said, we can see from this that the real source of all of our problems is the uncontrolled desire wishing ourselves to be happy all the time. So I thought it'd be nice if we could meditate on that. We'll do it in two stages. We'll imagine we've stopped the wish for ourselves to be happy all the time. And then we'll stop, almost like this cloud is lifted off our shoulders, like we're off the hook. The, ser the servitude has come to an end. We're no longer a slave to our desire. Mm -hmm. Just be. And in the quietude of that experience, we can then gently turn our mind to others and see if we can hold a feeling of love moment to moment, practice mindfulness as well. Should we try? Let's do it. 
All right, so comfortable posture, straight back, hands in your lap. Lower your eyelids. Drop your shoulders. Breathe gently through your nostrils. And just to bring yourself into the present, just focus on the sensation of the breath for a minute or so. The cool as you inhale and the warmer softer sensation as you exhale. If we practice stopping, wishing for ourselves to be happy all the time, and instead wish for others to be happy all the time, We will have no experience of suffering and problems at all. So, firstly, imagine that your wish to be happy all the time has ceased. You're free. The mind becomes completely still and present. No longer craving, searching. And enjoy this mental peace for a couple of minutes.
Now gently imagine in your in the vast space of your mind you see all living beings. And consider how deeply they long to be happy. And think how wonderful if they could be at peace. How wonderful if they could experience everlasting happiness. Transform your whole heart into this wish. May they be happy. Imagine your wish has real power and you begin to see them smile peacefully. Hold this wish and warm heart, feeling of being close to others. Moment to moment to moment. Enjoy and transform your whole mind.
in your in your own time. Begin to relax your meditation. Come back to your breath. Body and mind should be relaxed, peaceful, and just focusing on the breath. Cool as you inhale, the warmer, softer sensation as you exhale. without losing any feelings of love, any feelings of peace, can arise from the meditation when you feel ready. So I think the important thing is, is as you incorporate this kind of meditation into your life, externally we don't need to change too much in the beginning. We just take this peaceful feeling and then we take it into life. So we can still go for a coffee with our friends, but for us the happiness is not coming from the coffee, but our love for our friend or experience we're having from within and we just understand that there is a conventional basis for interaction. So externally, remain natural. In, so externally, ordinary. And internally, extraordinary. And then in that way we can bring together like a union of our spiritual development without causing any problems or worry in other people. Uh, and just fitting quite nicely into the modern world, even though the modern world is getting crazier by the month. You mentioned the, you know, picturing that by holding that feeling, sense that spreading the happiness across the. I was picturing stars as people. Yeah. Yeah, and you know the effect that that's actually having an effect, and I think that that it does. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because again, we discussed last time, reality is, and we, we touched on it earlier, reality is not as objective as we have always believed. We know that, even at a basic level, from the fact that when our mind changes, things look different. You know, People look more attractive to a beautiful mind than they do to an unpleasant mind. And so you simply cannot deny that when one meditates on the wish for all beings to be happy, that that is not bringing goodness into this world. Mm. It would be an extreme to deny that, I think. Mm. Mm. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Today Dreamer podcast. Hopefully you've found something within it that will allow you to deepen your practice of presence and cultivate that within your own life. As always, if you'd like more information on the guest or their work, please head over to the Today Dreamer website, todaydreamer.com, or check out the show notes or the description section wherever you're engaging with this, and there'll be some links to their wonderful and inspiring work there. If you'd like to deepen your connection with me, with the show, by showing your support and helping me keep this this project, this intention alive, then please consider joining the Today Dreamer tribe. 
by heading over to patreon.com forward slash todaydreamer where you can pledge a small amount every month and in return you'll get certain perks depending on the amount you pledge including exclusive podcast episodes, videos, video chats with me or group hangouts in supportive space where we can really look at meaningful action and support one another in this process of being, doing and dreaming. Thank you so much. Uh, That's all from me and I will catch you in the next episode. In the meantime, 